I clicked on the, the GitHub repo, and at the top of the GitHub repo, it says, like, ah, oh, Project Weishproof is named after Mount Weishproof, the smallest mountain in the world. <laughs> and then you go here, and it's, like, it's, it's got a, on Wikipedia, it's got a picture of just, like, a field. <laughs> it's, like, this is the mountain. <laughs> Dude, Joel, I uh, I have a little surprise for you at the beginning of this episode that I wasn't okay. going to tell you about. Um, <laughs> I'm super excited because I just went onto our Spotify, and there are 56 five star reviews on Spotify. Are you serious? Yeah, man. I was super Whoa. surprised when I went in there. You guys really came through for us on those Spotify reviews, so thank you so much for that. And on top of that, we have 10 five star reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, and, f- and five of them are like, or four of them are actual like text reviews. So I want to just give a shout out right now to Def Param, Max Power 99, 1911 Rocky, and Joseph Fuego 555 for dropping some awesome reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. And that really keeps us hyped to keep producing content. Dude, that's so awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot to everybody who's been taking the time to listen. We've been getting a ton of good feedback on Twitter. Everybody says that they're really enjoying listening to the, the content. So we're just glad to be you know, pushing this out and hope you keep enjoying it. It's so exciting, right, man? I People have been tweeting and stuff like that. And every time I just get like hyped to go do some research for the next episode and, t- and stuff. So yeah, yeah definitely 100%. appreciate that. But um, yeah, okay, so I guess let's just dive right in today. Um, actually, you know what, before we, so we're gonna talk today about the Portswigger Top 10 um, Web Hacking Techniques of 2022, which was pretty much the biggest piece of uh, content that was released over the past couple of weeks, sort of outlining what the top um, web hacking techniques of 2022 were, and uh, kind of do a little bit of a, I, I don't know if we can do a deep dive because there's 10 of them and we've only got an hour here, but we're just going to try to skate over each one of those, give some comments on them, talk about the various um, techniques. But before that, the drama, Joel, the drama, because <laughs> we shouted out TruffleSec on yeah. our podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and shit hit the fan. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so you may, you you may have seen there was some drama on Twitter and whatnot, but basically, I believe that the the TLDR is that Truffle Security with the new XSS Hunter, basically, um, they were logging statistics about you know callbacks and all that kind of stuff. Security people don't like that shit, man. They really don't. And yeah, they tweeted out like a summary that was essentially here's all the callbacks that we've had you know successful exploits all that kind of stuff and people were pretty pissed because they were like hang on a second you're looking at our stats you're looking at our callbacks you could just be taking our bugs you could just be seeing these zero days that are being exploited so i have seen some people um mention that you should self-host your own instance of xss hunter Mm -hmm. which is a definitely a viable option if you have a server or you want to just spin up a little instance 
Um, and I've even seen some programs go as far as to say that they won't accept reports that are using an externally hosted XSS Hunter. Yeah, so I saw that too. To it was right, right surrounding this drama too, I think, right? Like one of the biggest programs out there kind of sent out a, a message on HackerOne and said like, hey, if you use a non-self-hosted XSS Hunter instance, then no bounty for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, I, I, I think it's pretty rare when I see a program react to that quickly and that um, aggressively, I guess, mm. um, which is pretty pretty surprising, but I think it's a generally a good move. I think that Truffle Security has also sort of stepped back and said, you know, this wasn't really intentional. We were just trying to celebrate the use of the product. Mm, we're not mm. trying to steal your bugs or anything, but I think the, the point remains that, you know, this is something you should probably just think about and keep an eye on if you're using externally hosted tools. Just remember that those people can have logs of anything you're putting in there, right? So if you're putting in a zero day or some bug that hasn't been reported or released, you never know who's going to see that. You never know who has access to those logs. So just be cautious, think before you paste, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, I don't know. I, I Maybe it's a hot take, and I, I am notoriously not privacy conscious. You know, like I've got Google Homes all over my house and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. But don't don't use that against me, guys. Maybe I shouldn't publicly admit that on the podcast. <laughs> but um, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, clearly it was just statistic. It's not like they're in here, like, saying, hey, you know, run reader, congrats on your blind XSS. That would be creepy. That would be creepy. But in this case, it's just... It's just statistics, and um, you know, obviously, it's not a great idea anyway because um, vulnerabilities—they, you know—they definitely should be tried to kept private between the bug bounty hunter and the the you know company you're reporting it to. And so, there, there's definitely some some. I, I definitely understand from the program side them saying something like, "Hey, we don't want to see this in our program," but I, I think the backlash on Twitter was a little bit. Um, a little bit over overdone, especially considering the fact that Truffle Security is providing a free service to us and actually went in and enhanced the product and then was just kind of celebrating their their dub on like, oh, you know, we got cool Git issues, cloud credentials and cores popping up. So I don't know. Maybe that's a hot take. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you on that. It's like, it's kind of tricky because on one hand, we want to be like very like security positive and on the other hand, like, they have a product they need to like promote it right i yeah. don't think that trouble security is doing what people are sort of like alluding to which is that they're going into the logs they're looking at the things your callbacks and then they're taking your bugs and like doing what who knows what with them i would be very surprised right if you think about it from like a business perspective it's not great optics if that's what you're doing yeah if that were to get out in any way which since people are already kind of like saying that that could be a thing uh, you know it would be a pretty dumb idea um and they're a security company right like that i, I feel like they have some ethics already yeah. like they they, they kind of know um and in their statement they, they sort of address that so i think yeah. it is a little bit of an aggressive move from the community um just being like you know screwed truffle security host your own and all that kind of stuff but um, you know, security people are going to be security people. They well, are. They are. We're and, all varying and, different paranoid. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the privacy piece, I don't know. I I have definitely been called out a couple of times about not being conscious about that. But I also feel like that almost, it almost feels to me like delusions of grandeur, right? Like if I were like, if I were like, you know, 
I don't know, like head of the CIA or something like that. And people had a reason to like want to get in my Google home and just hear like the stupid conversations I have with my wife or like, you know, weird shit like that. Then then I would be a little bit more security conscious. But like at the end of the day, I'm a podcast host. I'm a I'm a solo entrepreneur, bug bounty hunter like you know, who's really going to go through all the trouble to and use a Google Home exploit to, you know, pop me. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think I've always said that, like, your threat model should be your threat model. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be like a universal threat model. Like you, you sort of should just look at your life, look at your context and decide what, how secure you need to be. Yeah. So, like, if you're worried that somebody's going to be dropping a zero day on you. Is that a valid concern? Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> like, maybe some Russian state, like, actor is going to drop a zero day on yeah. you and hack I, your I don't know, man. Why, I, have, right? I have heard some pretty, some pretty, like, crazy shit, though, about, like, foreign states and vulnerability researchers. So, you know. That's true. There, I'll definitely, you know, my threat model definitely includes being careful around specific foreign countries. But, um, yeah. So yeah, all you're right. making me go back and forth on this. Maybe maybe I I, I know I know. Well, the, we'll 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 talk about it off off the air. But yeah, there's definitely some weird stuff that's happened. Um, but yeah, okay, okay. So truffle truffle security. That's our take. Um, take it or leave it. Yeah, your threat Use model it at your own your risk. Own. If you're yeah. really concerned, host it yourself. That's, yeah. that's pretty much it. Or <laughs> or and you you didn't get this advice here. Use it, and then when you get the call back, go host your own. And then do it again and get the call back again and report that. <laughs> ah, genius. You know, didn't hear it here. You know, I don't know who that was that just took over the mic, but. Whoa, um, who was uh, all right. No, no, no. Okay. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about real quick before we hop into the um, Port Swigger Top 10 was, uh, well, two things real quick. Two just little news blurbs. Um, Fuff released Fuff 2.0, and it's got some real nice new features surrounding um, being able to track back which requests um, caused a certain functionality, um, and then also being able to extract data out of your Fuff, which with you know uh, your Fuff searches or your Fuff um, brute forces, which I think is a huge feature. I use that in Intruder all the time. You know they'll like match and extract sort of feature in Intruder. So definitely love to see that. As always, um, Juhui. <laughs> Juhui knocks it out of the park. Juhoi, I don't know. I'm sorry, bro. But knocks you knock it out of the park with Fuff. So thank you for that awesome community contribution and just wanted to shout it out. And then also Kaido released a uh, super nice HTML preview feature, which I use all the time in Burp Sweep and was, was stinging a little bit. It took a little getting used to to not have that in Kaido. And now I can just have it in Kaido. So another great reason to check Kaido out. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And when we were talking about um, FFUF, Fuff, yeah. um, I was I was just thinking about uh, a conversation I had with Jay Haddix uh, not long ago about the like the scanner brute force or dirt search or whatever that that he uses. Yeah. Um, and he uses one called Ferox Buster, which I had okay. never heard of. Yeah, I think and I did hear him mention this. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool tool. It's written in Rust. It's super fast. Um, and he actually prefers it over FFUF, I believe. Um, wow. Mainly just because it does like, it has some nice features. Like you can interrupt it, you can modify the search as it's going in real time. Um, you can mm, sort of interact with those, uh, with those results that it's already found. Um, and it's written in Rust. I think FFUF is Go, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so 
probably a little bit faster. Um, but uh, it's really it's really it's cool to see too. other huh. other nice tools in this space. I use both, kind of depending on use case. But um, I've definitely been leaning a little bit towards Ferox Buster just for the different use cases and to try out that new tool. So definitely check them both out. But the new version of FFUF V2 is like packed full of awesome features, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. So if you haven't updated your FFUF in a while, update it and give it a run and check it out. The content discovery wars continue. I feel like every couple <laughs> of years, I'm, I'm I'm switching, you know, from from product to product, just chasing the the extra, you know, little bit of efficiency or the nice new features. So, Back always always day, appreciate. We used to scan with Python. Oh my gosh, dude! I <laughs> I still have code running on my server that scans with Python because you know sometimes you just need to be you just need slow and steady. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right, cool. Well, let's with that. Let's um, let's go ahead and hop into the Portswigger top ten web hacking techniques. Drum roll. I don't know if you can hear that, but uh, I'm drum rolling, dude. I get so excited when I see this every year because these techniques are such fire, and I it actually took quite a few hours um, to read through all of these in prep for this podcast um, because they're so good and so in depth, and a lot of them are really really complex. So I've still got a couple in here that I don't fully understand. Um, so hopefully we can kind of talk that through or maybe someone in the, one of our listeners can pop in and explain it to me, but yeah, 100%. Um, a lot of these, I was surprised I hadn't even heard about them. Um, and I was reading through them and they're, they're all like fantastic write-ups. Um, it, it kind of varies across the space, the quality of write-ups that you can see, but these were mm. all very top tier, well-written, well-documented, <clears throat> well-explained. They had diagrams and pictures and, yeah, definitely very well-written write-ups. So I would encourage anybody who's curious about more of these, we'll link it in the description below, but um, we'll put the top 10 uh, list from Port Swigger. We'll put the article there, and you can look through them all. And there's also, they included the list of nominees, um, mm, that's which has, like, read. even more. There's, like, an infinite list of, like, research that you can read through there. But these... I think I honestly prefer it to the OWASP top 10. OWASP is just a little too generic for me. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate the level of specificity that each of these goes into where it's more like a specific bug and it talks about sort of the methodology and stuff behind it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I you know, the OWASP top 10, I think definitely has its its spot, but this is sort of in a different category for me personally because, yeah, these are actual, you know, specific techniques and hands-on um, you know, vulnerabilities, which has a different ring to it. And also I just, I love the fact that this, uh, I just wanted to shout out file descriptor on here. He's on the <laughs> expert panel of researchers that kind of helps put together this. I haven't seen much from him in the past couple of years, um, since before, before COVID, but I love that guy and he does a great job with, um, and the rest of this panel is obviously amazing too. Um, so thank you for the excellent work people over at, uh, Port Swigger and people on the panel for this top 10, web hacking techniques um you, you can always be almost like 100 percent certain that there's some really crazy cool research going on behind the scenes when file oh, descriptors yeah. being quiet oh i know yeah yeah i can't wait to see what he comes up with man i still he's still like my go-to like if i have some weird dude your cat is on yeah. top of your printer <laughs> trying to break my printer <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man he's still my go-to when it, whenever i have like some crazy like hey is this possible in any you know edge browser versions or like weird stuff like that he's he's the one 
So, all right, cool. Let's check out number 10 um, on the list. This one goes to none other than Mr. Curry, Sam himself, Mr. Zazzle, as he's yes. known in the, in the live hacking circuit. Um, this is a, a universal XSS on Netlify. And actually, dude, I'm a little salty about this one. I told this to Sam too, because he told me about this when he was before he released it. And I was like, dude, I freaking knew there was bugs in that and those endpoints. Like I just didn't, that's just one of these ones that I like had it on my list of sketchy stuff. And then I actually just never went down the hole and then, you know, some crazy bugs pop up later. So props uh, to I, Sam. That's the worst that. feeling when you're like, you, it's like, it's tingling your like hacker, like Spidey sense. And you're like, I should put this on my list. Maybe I'll check it out later. Six months later, you're dealing with too many other things and then boom, out of nowhere, blog post. And you're like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> yep, I knew <laughs> that it. That FOMO. So, um, all right, I'll take, let's, let's do it this way. I'll talk about, there's three bugs in this one. Um, I'll talk about one, you talk about two, and then we'll join talk about three or whatever. So the first sure. bug on this, on this little list here is an open redirect and it's pretty, uh, fairly straightforward. But one of the things I do want to highlight here is that, um, it utilizes, uh, something that I think people should be aware of in, in these sort of situations is the way that browsers redirect, um, when you give backslashes and, and, uh, like for example, you don't have to have HTTPS in the beginning of your location header, uh, to get an open redirect. You can do it with slash slash. You can do it with some combination of slashes and backslashes. So, um, when you're looking, trying to break a regex for open redirection or something of the like, then definitely, um, you know, kind of play around with all these different values. And, and sometimes you can even get chains where, you know, you give it one thing and then it redirects to, um, something else and then when it normalizes the thing that you told it to redirect to that causes a redirect um so uh, brilliant work here by sam as well and i think sam was also one of the f people that kind of um helped foster this behavior in me as well just kind of seeing sam's bug at live hacking event and just from hacking together so yeah really really good stuff here and i love how he also mentions that a lot of these sites are also using OAuth and you know later in the top 10 list we'll talk about OAuth and how you can use open redirects to try to do stuff with OAuth so definitely not shying away from dropping as an open redirect zero day because it can definitely <laughs> be used in in chains for much more impact yeah I feel open redirects are one of those things that like in the beginning like it's one of the first things that you think is like oh this is a cool bug but the more you push into it the more you're like eh, this isn't like quite this isn't quite severe enough to be like something that just to report on itself. Yeah. But then just like one step further is you just get a little more experience. You realize like it's a perfect like chain mechanism. And if you find one, just like write it down, keep oh, yeah. track of it, give it to like work with somebody else on it. Cause almost certainly there's a really good use case where we can escalate that impact. Yeah. Yeah. I, you rarely have to report them on uh, you know, alone. You can almost always uh, escalate them and use them in some other parts of chains. Yeah. So the second thing that um, that Sam and I don't know if Sam was working alone on this or if they were working with other people, but the second thing that they found was uh, both an SSRF and an XSS. Um, so essentially, there was this path that you could get within the Net Netlify IPX library, um, and you, you do slash I think un underscore IPX and then W underscore two hundred. I think that's for basically like a thumbnail type. You give it a re right. resolution or whatever, and then you would. In the path, you would URL encode 
an HTTP URL and it would just fetch it <laughs> and it would check for it to be an SVG and then it would just render it. So if your SVG had uh, an XSS payload in it because SVG is vector based, so you can put elements in it and you can run XSS through it. Um, so it would SSRF out to your server, assuming, I think there was actually a host check somewhere. Yeah, it says in here that there's um, some whitelist and he was a little bit frustrated that it wasn't a totally universal exploit, which, dude, as a piece of software, you don't want to go up against a frustrated Sam Curry, man. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this is one of those use cases that we were talking about, right? Open yeah. redirects. This is a perfect example. If there's some sort of host, uh, mm. if there's a host whitelist, allow list, and you need to get around that, find an open redirect within that host and then use it to get to your own host. Yeah. No, absolutely. And so for the third one, where he does fully, you know, get arbitrary um, universal XSS on any of these um, instances, any of these Netlify uh, instances, is when he gets into the, you know, white box source code review, which is really, I think, I think this is a technique that I've been working on with my mentees a little bit more lately. And um, they've been really eating up is this getting into the code, really starting to, you know, read through, trace trace data inputs. And it would have been very hard to find this otherwise, I think. But um, what he does here is he goes through and he finds in the in the uh, source code for Netlify IPX, he finds the X-forwarded uh, protocol header is being parsed and integrated into um, these requests. And, <laughs> you know, it... it, it it's it's easy to think okay well that's just would just be for protocols but after reading the code he actually finds that you can just stick a whole URL in there as the protocol and uh, and then just truncate the rest of the request using a, a question mark at the end or I'm sure you could use a hashtag as well um, making it a part of the URL fragment um, and then in the end that's the thing that that gives him the full uh, SSRF and I, I want to point out here one of the things that Sam does really well, which is Sam understands the threat model here, right? Um, you know, he normally if he's got an SSRF zero day, he'd be talking about the SSRF, not the XSS. But these are static websites, um, and so at the end of the day, there's not a lot of impact to the SSRF, um, and there is literally the most impact you can possibly have on these static websites is XSS. And so he does he does a really good job here of highlighting that actually this results in cross-site scripting, which is the primary um, impact in these sort of scenarios. Um, so shout out to Sam for, for that and for not getting distracted by the cool, shiny, bug-type name of SSRF and, and actually following the threat model for the website. Yeah, and I think another great thing to call out here is that this is Next.js, right? So mm -hmm. Next.js is used very, very frequently within Web3 websites um, where yeah. you're dealing with NFTs, minting, and wallets, and approvals, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of risk at hand. And so being able to have arbitrary like XSS on any of those websites is huge because most of the time these websites are designed very, very specifically to only let you mint a certain thing or sign a certain message or something like that with your wallet and if you can make the user do something else completely unexpected you could literally empty their wallet you could steal all of their money so oh my gosh so it's impactful. like there's a huge amount of risk and, yeah. it, and it, the fact that it's universal and it's such a widely used library it's just an awesome finding yeah way to go sam at all on that one um jumping to number nine on the list we've got uh let's see who is this by it says medi in Medi. the uh 
list, but I, I'm not actually familiar with this hacker, so I'm going to have to check them out. But I am familiar with and absolutely love client-side patch reversals. And it's just such a little scrappy bug that you're like, really, are you trying to make something out of a client-side patch reversal? But dude, it really has some some crazy impact sometime. Um, and I always, I always pay attention to these because anytime you're taking user input and you're integrating it into requests, it, you know, there's, there's potential, there's risk there. And I think even as we see more and more, um, of same site strict adoption happening, and I talked about this in other podcasts, but I'll, I'll say it again, as we see same site strict or even same site lacks, but particularly same site strict getting, um, adopted by more and more websites in the future this is going to be the new CSERF, is trying to figure out how to make these requests, trying to abuse the requests that websites are making on their own from the same origin, um, and then using that for your, for your benefit. Um, and I think this, this hacker here does a really good job of doing this in this, um, in this uh, write-up. Yeah, 100%. And I, we've talked about this in previous episodes, because mm. I think actually one of the bugs that we talked about was a client-side. Um, yeah, it had some pieces yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, and so very similar concept. Um, obviously, it's it's case by case, but this is another one of those great examples where chaining bugs together, open redirects, and um, sort of thinking about the context of the application and building that impact scenario around the application, just like a great use case. So uh, essentially, the bug is that um, there was a parameter that you could provide in the URL, and it would cause the client to load a CSS with that parameter in the URL. And so they were able to chain this with an open redirect that they had found and a path traversal. So they dot, dot, slash, dot, dot, slash, dot, dot, slash, and then hit their open redirect path and open redirect it to an attacker-controlled resource that is a CSS file. And then you use CSS exfiltration, which is something that we've also briefly touched on. But uh, yeah, there. At some point, we should maybe give a full, oh, yeah. in-depth discussion Dude, about. I've got such a. Fr- I'm sorry to to steal it, but I've just got such a crazy bug, such a crazy CSS injection bug that I've got to talk about on this stream. Um, so that's coming. I'm gonna tease yeah. y'all right now. It's so good. Um, uh, but yeah, okay, we'll talk about that later. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. No. And I mean, I <laughs> wanted you to talk about it because we had mentioned it. Like the the this is the Singapore bug, right? Uh, no, this is actually oh. so that so this is actually my bug, um, and I know the Singapore bug uh, was well. Actually, I won't say whose bug it was, but um, <laughs> really awesome hacker. But dude, actually, I'm not sure you've even seen this one because you weren't in. Uh, actually, I can't say what it is either because that, that also gives it away. <laughs> but I don't know that you saw this one because you weren't in person at this event. I think you were you were um, you were remote, so I'm not sure you you tuned into the show and tell. But um, it's. It's probably the bug that I'm most proud of. Like, as far as like, I just put a crap ton of time in here, and it just uses all these different like scrappy edge techniques, and in the end, it comes together so beautifully. Um, so anyway, okay, I'll talk about Dude, it at a different awesome. time. Right. You'll get now to see you got it. me. It's you clutch. got me hyped to hear about that at the end. Okay, so yeah, like 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 Joel said, um, taking a parameter. So you know, you redirect the the victim to a specific URL with an attacker controlled parameter. Um, and that, that parameter gets injected into a, a CSS file, which is dynamically loaded based off of that input. You use the input to do a path traversal, hit an open redirect that you found, and that redirects to the attacker-controlled CSS file. And when the attacker CSS code is loaded on the website, you can use that to infu- uh, exfiltrate things like CSRF tokens or user data. 
And then if you do, you know, CSRF tokens, uh, you've just got full access to CSRF. So a lot of times you can get account takeover or or something like that. So really, really creative flow here. Love it, Mehdi. Uh, congratulations on the on the winning of uh, being put into the list. I don't even know. Is it called? It's not called a nomination. What is the final uh, round candidates? Is the the yeah the thing that yeah the use. top ten being yeah. in the top ten? I guess. Congrats for being yeah, in the top ten. That's pretty awesome. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, so number, what is this, number nine, eight? Number eight. eight, yep. Yeah, so number eight, man, this was a, an insane bug. I was <laughs> I was reading through this, and I was like, how is oh this even, gosh. how is yeah. it possible that this I is know. a thing that... <laughs> Freaking, I cannot believe that some, and I love how also, just before you explain this one, because you take this one, Joel, but I just want to say, like, I love how in here, uh, in this article, they talk about how, like, what things should have saved them like what kind of like weird little like weird math things or like weird checks that actually should have made it like, you know, we see that all the time in bugs. Like you have this attack vector and then like the developer just gets lucky and like some weird thing doesn't work out and it breaks the whole exploit. And he, he notes, uh, the author here notes a couple of them. Um, and they just, you know, what, what, what things could have happened but actually didn't to save them. And it just seems like a perfect storm for this vulnerability. God, we've talked about this so often, but read the docs. Okay? Yeah, man. Just read the docs. Read how it's supposed to work, and then look at how it's actually For working. sure. Right, because this is something that happens over and over again, and we're going to see this also in some of the other bugs that we talk about um, in this list, but reading the docs is so huge. Actually, the next one we talk about is going to also be a very big read the docs moment. But So essentially, this bug was um, a, a lack of... ECDSA signature verification in like Java 15, 16, 17, and 18 oh <laughs> and my older, gosh. I think. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So essentially what happened is uh, the Java implementation of ECDSA got rewritten from C++ into native Java. Mm. And when that happened, uh, the migration was missing a lot of the safety checks that should have been in the ECDSA algorithm for hashing. Um, and so essentially what happened is if you gave it a signature that's all zeros, TLDR is that the math is zero times anything is zero, right? And so if you multiply a blank signature that's all zeros by anything, it's always going to come back valid. And so... <laughs> It's a, I mean, oh it, seems, it seems simple, it right? It hurts it's, me. It hurts me, man. It really does. It's it's so crazy. And uh, this blog does a great job of sort of walking you through without getting like super, super technical. Because yeah. I think if you, any time you sort of delve into like the crypto side, like the, the elliptic curves the, and all that kind the of the stuff. The cryptography gets side, to be clear. Yes. The yes. cryptography, not not the cryptocurrency, uh -huh. but the cryptography yeah. side, that crypto. Yeah. Um, it can, I mean, even for me, it goes way over my head a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but this was to a level that I, even I could understand. Yeah. And essentially what happens is, like I said, if you give it a fully blank signature, if you look at the math behind the scenes, zero times anything is zero. <laughs> my cat is Dude, zero. what is your cat <laughs> doing, man? All right, dude, I think this might be the one. I think this is going to be the one where we're going to post a video. So if you want to yeah. see what... <laughs> He's just Joel's cat is eating out of it. I don't know. What is he even doing? But this He's is the one. To start okay. my 3D printer. No, but yeah, man, I totally agree. I think, you know, he really talks about the basics of, you know, R and S. And, and I'm, 
to be clear as well, I, I, I'm not big on the, on the math side of things. People hear, oh, you're a hacker. Oh, you computer science, you know, must be a math boy. I'm not a math boy. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, no, this stuff is simple enough and really, um, uh, well explained, um, the perfect, the perfect example of what you want to see in a write-up, I think. Um, yeah. So Just shout out to them. perfect storm of, of yeah. bad things. And one of the awesome things Neil. that I, that I bookmarked that was mentioned and I had never heard of this, but there's a thing called project. Uh, I think it's Weish proof. Oh yeah. It's, I saw that. Yeah. It's how it's printed. I'm not really sure. Um, w Y C H E P R O O F. I have no idea. But it's, it's by um, the Google security team. And essentially what it's designed to do is it runs crypto libraries through like a standard test suite and it'll huh. feed like known crypto issues, including this bug that was talked about with a blank signature being validated incorrectly. And it lets you sort of sanity check to make sure that everything nice. is working right. And uh, Neil said that he ran it. He, you know, updated Weishproof to work with the Java versions that he was testing against. And sure yeah. enough, it found it immediately. Wow. So I think that's a really great thing if you're working at a company or maybe you're auditing something crypto specific, maybe just run it through that Weishproof tool and mm. see if it finds anything. Cause that's certainly a lot easier than doing all the auditing yourself and trying to find the nuances within the code. If it'll just be like, Hey, there's, there's an issue here and here's what it is. Wow. Yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. I, I, and I also just want to say about on the topic of Weishproof, I, I clicked on the, the GitHub repo and at the top of the GitHub repo, it says like, ah, oh, Project Weishproof is named after Mount Weishproof, the smallest mountain in the world. <laughs> and then you go here and it's like, it's, it's got a, on Wikipedia, it's got a picture of just like a field. <laughs> it's like, this is the mountain. <laughs> wait, okay, I'm looking at this. Is wait, Yeah, I don't even, even know, a... man. I don't, I have no idea. So yeah, shout out to Google for, yeah, crazy. It stands at 138 feet tall or 42 meters. That's so small, that. dude. It's <laughs> like a tree. I feel like I'm about to go on a rabbit hole about what makes a mountain a mountain. Don't, don't do it, Joel. Don't do it, man. <laughs> don't do it. Don't get nerd sniped by Google. Um, yeah, no. I, I really also like the one thing that I did want to shout out was the multiplicative inverse um, explanation. Um, really clean. Really simple. Um, and it shows that he really did his due diligence in di diving into the code and really understanding all the pieces. So... Um, shout out to Neil Madden and congrats for making it into the top 10. Yeah, that, that really makes me think about some other like migrations that are like that. Because, I mean, this is Java. It, uh, he mentioned that this is used in JWT and a lot of other like very core like functions. Yeah. And it makes me wonder what other migrations have happened in other languages from either like C++, C++ bindings to native language bindings um, or other instances of that where they may have forgotten some checks and there might be some other really really critical cves in there yeah for sure and i would like to just a takeaway for the people um that are listening uh if you want to or maybe i'll do this after we'll see but i would love to just go ahead and generate this zero signature i don't i mean i don't know if it's actually like do you need you know 64 bytes of zero or something like that for like a jwt you know how like there's some weird stuff in um, what's the Burt plugin? I want to say it's like Joseph or something like that, where you throw a JWT in there and then it like signs it with like, 
um, you know, none or something like that. And it's just an empty right. string and it, it modifies the, the first part of the JWT and stuff like that. I do that every time I see a JWT because one time I found one and it was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. Um, yeah. And so I, I would also, it would be really cool to just have like, just be able to like paste a signature in there um, and and check and see if that, that works and see if they're using a vulnerable version of Java. So it, it'd be great to like tweet out that like 64 byte, whatever it is and, and do it that way. Yeah, this is reminding me of, um, I've seen this in a couple of CTFs and puzzles, but essentially it'll be using the default, like, or like the example code as in your, in your like production. So if you're, uh, you yeah. look up like just the, like the readme page on like how to encrypt with insert crypto library, and then you copy paste that code, typically there'll be like a default key or default mm -hmm. IV or something in there. And if it ever gets left, then super easy win. Or same thing with if they're using an empty key or a null key, and you can replicate that and you can re-sign your own. Yeah. Um, I know for JWTs, you can you can pretty easily check this by just going to like JWT.io, and you can just paste your J JWT in there, and you can re-sign it, and you, it'll tell you whether or not it's valid for a given signing key. And so you can test with like an empty key or a known key, um, or an example key, and you can see whether or not they may have signed it using that. Okay, yeah, I, I was trying to remember the person who who wrote this. It was Ian Carroll. There's actually a, um, a couple of years ago, he released a tool called Cookie Monster, which helps check for like uh, default keys and stuff like that um, in for vulnerable session cookies in particular on um, several different frameworks: Express, Rack, Flask, Django, Lar Laravel. Man, this is so. You know what's weird about doing a podcast, Joel? Like you start reading all, of, you know, you've words read that you've only ever read in the your words head. you've yeah. only ever read, and you know, you think that would be gone by the time you're like, you know, 25 or something. Words you've only read in books, like, oh, I'm a wordy kid that reads books or whatever. But no, when you're in the tech world, there's so many different names and stuff that you've only ever read and never said out loud. It's a gotcha, man. It really is. But 100%. yeah, I'll link this in the I'll link this in the description for. Um, uh, of the of the pod and you guys can check out cookie monster by ian carroll yeah yeah that's a great example uh i know that there was another uh i think this might be what i'm thinking of but essentially yeah the flat like the default flask encryption keys and stuff mm -hmm. yeah um and you see that in ctfs all the time yeah. where it's like oh like how would we ever get the secret value and then you like you go and you look up and sure enough there's you know it's one two three four keys. one two three four one two three four yeah. or something yeah, like yeah, that exactly. yeah all right yeah, cool yeah. let's keep rolling because we're only a couple down the list um oh, man we're getting we're, yeah, yeah we might have to split this into a, a double episode this week or something but um <clears throat> all right number seven uh dude we were both really excited about this one pre-episode um what an amazing concept this one is um so essentially uh the tldr on this one is there's these things called hop by hop headers and Which hop, i had no idea this existed by the way i know and yeah i i had read the research when it originally came out and then i was like oh that's so cool i should you know it went into that list of like you know research that i should flesh out <laughs> that i never flesh out um and uh never came back out of there but luckily uh jacob poe Ted Eos. Uh oh, we're getting back into. <laughs> I know, man. I'm so sorry. I feel so J bad. Jacopo. Uh, yeah. Little, yeah I, Jacopo you know, I should be able to pronounce yeah. this too, because I used to speak Italian, but now my Italian's uh -oh. gone. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great write up. And there's these things called hop by hop headers, and essentially what they allow you to do is remove specific headers at specific points in the processing of an HTTP request. So if you've got a reverse proxy and then another reverse proxy and then the actual server, you can specify like, okay, I need this header removed at the first you know, proxy or if you just got a reverse proxy in a server as well. Um, so that's a really cool concept and could potentially allow for, I would also really like to see um, people trying to do the same thing that, um, uh, that James Kettle does with uh, request smuggling. Um, in here with this header. So like, for example, if you go through the first proxy and then, uh, you know, it does not process the, process the connection header with an extra space after the N uh, and, and then the colon, but the second one does, then you can remove headers that were added by the first proxy and, it, you know, it would be crazy. Um, but yeah, so happy that they actually took this research that was done years before, actually, I want to say, right? Um, was it three years before? Yeah, I believe it was three years, uh, three years before. Yeah, dude, back that's great. Let me find it. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Davidson. Um, yeah, dude, I went back and read this one yesterday. Definitely a good read. Nathan Davidson does a write-up on like, okay, this is weird. We should start looking at this. And he's totally right. And then finally, yeah, yeah. you know, these guys are able to pull it off a couple years later. Um, yeah, so. it's another, and like we talked about in the previous in the previous bug, this is a perfect example. Just read the document, mm -hmm. like read the documentation and take yeah. a look at what's actually happening. I had no idea that this was a thing. And if you read the RFC, I mean, this is from 1997. Okay. Yeah. Like this is 25 years old. It's, you know, but it's been around for quite some time. And it literally says explicitly in here that there are like two categories of HTTP headers, end to end headers, which are carried throughout the entire request and hop by hop headers, which are meant for, transport level connections and they're not stored or used uh, after they're forwarded by a proxy or a cache and they say here are the hop by hop headers and they list specifically connection keep alive public proxy authenticate transfer encoding upgrade all other headers defined as by http 1.1 are end-to-end -end headers hop by hop headers introduced in future versions of http must be listed in a connection header Okay, like t it's like ver extremely verbose. It explains exactly how this should happen. It's and so you could perfect. read that and be like, huh, cool, and just keep moving. But uh, Jacopa did an amazing, you know, they sort of like turned it around. They were like, hang on a second. If we send two requests concatenated together, like in request smuggling, and there's headers that we need to remove here, I could just define it as a hop by hop header and put it in the connection header in my first request and it'll get removed. And sure enough, exactly by the spec, it gets removed. It's so crazy. So I, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Reading reading the docs, big, big dub. Um, and so just to, just to TLDR, um, what happened here? So they would send the request and this request would have a uh, content length header of 53 in a content body that was actually another uh, HTTP request. And then it would specify the connection header as the, um, and the content length header inside of the connection header as a hop by hop sort of um, header here. Then when the first proxy was, was processing it, it would split, the, it would pull off the, the content length header, then it would split the request into two different requests. And then what would end up happening is the response to that request would get sent back to the user, the, the request that was inside of the request body that was originally a part of the request body, gets processed and, uh, processed and parsed as its own request and gets sent back to the user. Um, 
or actually the the proper thing to say would it gets put, gets put back into the response queue um, on the on the uh, Akamai proxy, and then you can trigger that by reaching out with another request. Um, so really awesome job here. Essentially, what they what it allowed you know this this team to do was just send that uh, that request and return back just arbitrary content, which is devastating. Um, and this affected, I want to say, the whole Akamai CDN. Yeah, I think it was on every edge node, <laughs> which is <laughs> wow, which is kind of nuts. just like absurd. Um, one of the awesome things that Jacopo did was they put this uh, this diagram in their blog that does a really great job of visualizing sort of the flow of how this works, yeah. where you send your request and you include the hop by hop header in your connection header in the first request. It hits the first proxy, gets split into two requests handled by the second proxy two different responses then get sent back to the first proxy one goes into the queue one goes back to the requester and then essentially it's just standard http request request only. yeah yeah beautiful beautiful graph really good job jacopo and team um yeah yeah and uh, the, the the gif that they put in there with the poc was just like i i was i was sitting at my desk and i was just looking at that and i was like are you serious? That's and I like had nuts. to zoom in and I was like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a curl request. And then they hit some other arbitrary path and it just returns, you know, uh, robots.txt on like some hacker one underscore oh username.js. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's an amazing POC. It's yeah, awesome. it is. Yeah. About halfway down on the page there, just stunning. You can just upload any content you want to, you know, paypal.com demo.paypal.com yeah. was the one they're using here. Really, yeah. really awesome bug. All right, yeah. dude, it looks like we might only get through maybe the top six today. We might have to top do six. another one later this week or cover it again next week. But let's talk about number six, and then we'll we'll sort of wrap it up. Cool. Yeah, so um, essentially this this was actually researched directly from James Kettle, who works at Portswigger. Um, and this was uh, talking about uh, injecting a separate HTTP request uh, and very similar to the previous bug, but with like response queuing and, and all that kind of stuff. The attack factor was very interesting. When I was reading through this, it took me a second to actually understand how it was going through. But essentially, the whole payload goes right in your request path. So if you think about how an HTTP request actually works, um, like when you request, you know, example.com slash foobar, right? It's going to go make an HTTP request that's get space slash foobar space http slash 1.1 etc and the whole payload you would url encode you know new lines slash r slash n or percent zero d percent zero a and then you put host headers and all that kind of stuff and it would get decoded url decoded and basically the full raw request would then wow. you'd have two full requests in there so james explained that somebody had reached out to him and was like hey i have this weird bug I don't really know how to exploit this. Do you have any ideas? And he mentioned, generally speaking, these are types of things that you don't really respond to because most of the time it's just that you've hit a wall. Like you can't actually exploit it. But he had done some previous research um, that he had published that was talking about this same exact type of thing. And he was like, you know, this feels this this feels like something that might actually be exploitable. Let me let me take a closer look. And sure enough. You literally just you put the whole <laughs> you put the whole request in there. Just literally you put like zero D zero A, and oh you, it gosh. just turns it into two requests, and you have re almost like exact like standard HTTP request smuggling. 
and he did uh, he did talk about some of the nuances, which is really nice about um, some of the more modern preventions that are coming into play around this. Yeah. Um, where like a lot of times browsers, if it receives two content lengths, it'll stop. Uh, it'll truncate the data that it receives uh, early because the content length is not short enough. Um, but there are still like other ways that you can get around that you can you know either you can give it a longer content length you can fiddle with it or you can get it to maybe um you can get it to be in the in the response queue instead so you can mm. get like a full mm. response back um but uh, yeah no this is an, an awesome bug from james james has just like he's whenever i think of request smuggling he, he kills he's, it like, man he kills he's, it. He, he's done so much unique and original research on request smuggling that's all like published and he's given like so many talks and stuff um yeah. it's uh, every time i see another post about it, i'm like dang how much further can we go with request smuggling it seems like there's no end yeah and seriously and i, I think i think uh i think in one of the descriptions of the uh write-ups in on the top 10 web hacking techniques i think he quote yeah here it is as noted by file descriptor it seems like there's an infinite amount of anomalies among proxies that bring you an infinite <laughs> amount of request smuggling techniques very well yeah. said I totally agree um once again another banger by by james um yeah i i really like this and i've always i've always thought um and it, well actually let me let me say this first it makes me think of another article that I read um, in 2020 by Franz, the king himself, Franz, um, uh, regarding Nginx misconfigurations. So mm -hmm. I'm going to link that below. We don't have time to go into the details of it now, but um, really awesome read. Uh, you know, Franz is number one on this uh, top web hacking techniques list, so we'll, you'll definitely hear more from him. But pretty much anything that's published on Detectify from Franz is like straight gold. So definitely yeah. check those out. Yeah. I feel like Franz is getting to the level where like anytime you see like a new Project Zero blog post, you're like, uh-oh, this yeah. is probably bad. And yeah. same thing. If I see a new Franz like Detectify blog post, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, like, no, for sure, uh -oh. man. And, and I was catching up with him, you know, uh, what event was that at? He was at one of the events that I was at recently and I was catching up with him and he like runs a couple companies too and like Dude, does all this machine. like, I'm just like, who are you? Like, how oh, do you do Oh, and he has this? kids too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. they're like a family. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, really cool stuff. Goals there. Um, let's see. Yeah, no, I don't think I have any other comments on this one. This one's pretty pretty cool how they just wrote out the whole HTTP request. I think you did a great job explaining it. So I guess we'll leave it there. Um, let's see. What time are we at? We're at 49 minutes right now. Um, yeah. All right. I'll talk real quickly. I'm not going to get to talk about that bug that I was going to talk about, uh, Joel, but we'll, we'll actually, I'll give you guys, I'll, I'll do the CSS bug that I was talking about next time. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll spend some decent amount yeah. of time there. I did want to, yeah. um, shoot out a couple tips here at the end. Um, one, and you'll see this when we get to number one on the list. Uh, but Franz's, post message tracker extension is a necessity that is absolutely something everyone should have installed go download that and keep your you know inspect uh, your dev tools tab open to see what kind of post messages are being sent because there's a lot of scope there and it's it's pretty much like an api for the browser that you can access cross origin um depending on how it's set up so it's yeah. it's really it's definitely something that should be paid attention to it's it's pretty awesome. I forgot that this was actually a public tool because Franz yeah. gave me a private copy of yeah, it yeah, many yeah. many years ago, yeah. and uh, and I was using that for a while, and then eventually he finally released it. And but for those who aren't familiar, it's essentially it's a browser plugin that will log all of the data that's going um, 
in post message calls. So between like windows or between tabs um, via, you know, window.postmessage. Um, and it's really, really insightful because that's a, an awesome vector for like XSS, CSRF. There's like a million different things that you can do and you can see all the different data that's being triggered between the two events, whether or not there's an origin check, all that kind of stuff. So there, there's a lot of really, really juicy stuff to be had. And uh, yeah, that tool is free and available. So go get it. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and just add these right right now to the show yeah, notes. Yeah, put it in and our link actually, list. I also did a little bit of a write up on post message stuff where I mentioned his uh, his tracker extension in a little yeah. bit more detail. So I'm gonna link that below as well. Yeah, I actually think it's really good at the pace we're going to because uh, we've basically gotten through uh, number ten through four ish three uh, five or four yeah and uh i think what what we might do is we'll leave the last the top three for the listener so yeah. if you're interested and you, you've liked what you've heard so far I, I mean the top three are like even better right it's, it's like so freaking it's, good. it's like and number one like we said number one is a franz rosenbug it's an amazing write-up um the, the there's just like so many awesome techniques and takeaways that you can get from all of these. So I would encourage you to just go back, even if you've listened to us talk about these, go back and read them yourself. Um, the write-ups we're we were really only like skimming over them. I don't think we can oh, yeah. do it full justice. Not even close. Um, every single write-up, and so definitely takes take some time, make some notes. I feel like I have like an endless list of like new things that I need to be checking for now <laughs> whenever I'm hacking on targets. Um, and especially around request smuggling, uh, it's just like, man, there's so, there's so much unexplored attack surface. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, all right, that's a wrap. I don't think I've got anything else in the tip section. Um, we always appreciate, I mean, you could see at the beginning of the episode, how excited we were about those reviews, um, and, uh, you know, ratings on Apple podcasts and on Spotify and wherever you listen. So definitely do us a solid and leave us some reviews and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week on the pod. Oh, I actually do have one one quick oh, tip and it, this man. is something that, that i i told you wow joel coming yesterday. out here with a with a tip i saved it what? to the it's end it's not even in the doc <laughs> joel i know it's written on a sticky note on my desk so um <laughs> freaking joel so I, man yeah peak adhd yeah. um so i i had told you about this after our episode yesterday but yeah. i wanted to to pass it on to the to the community um one of our hacking buddies uh, had mentioned that they got an akamai ban and we talked a little bit about oh, yeah, Akamai yeah. and one of these these bugs. But if you ever come across an Akamai ban, you've been a little too aggressive on your scanning, your payloads or whatever. We've all been there. Uh, I definitely was not banned from USPS for like three weeks. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, yeah, if you ever come across an Akamai ban, uh, one, you can go to Akamai's site and you can check and there's like a button that you can click that will tell you the reputation for your current IP. Sort of tell you whether or not you've been flagged and whether why you've been flagged and whether or not you, know, you can access Akamai websites. Uh, but if you want to get around that immediately, you can change the MAC address on your router. So most routers, I think probably, I, I don't think I've ever seen a router that doesn't let you do it. But generally speaking, you can go in and you can change the MAC address for your router itself. And it's essentially the same as changing a MAC address on like your laptop, right? Your, the, the router no longer identifies the same client, so it gives you a new IP address. Same thing with your ISP. Your ISP no longer recognizes your router, gives you a new IP. So 
you can just trick DHCP into giving you a new public IP address by just changing your router Mac by like one character. And then you can just leave it like that for a couple of weeks, set a reminder, change it back, and you'll be good to go. On that same page that I mentioned, that Akamai, you can look up your IP reputation. There's also like an appeal button or something. And I'd also recommend just hit that, say I'm, you know, I'm a security researcher, I was authorized to do the scanning, um, and you know, if you, you can't wait, just change your Mac by a little bit and you'll get a new public IP. Nice pro tips, man. Pro tips that those bands are so annoying and, <laughs> and <worst. laughs> I'm going to just, I'm going to keep rolling, man. I got another tip that popped into my brain. Joel, oh, awesome. Joel, uh, Joel style, um, on this note of changing the Mac. Um, I think this is a pretty classic tip, but for most web people, I'm not sure it's, it's super intuitive, but I was, um, I was doing a physical, uh, test one time and I got on a network and I plugged up an Ethernet cable to my laptop and it wouldn't give me an IP address. And I was like, oh, what's going on? Well, the device that I had unplugged, I plugged that into my laptop and I opened up Wireshark and I grabbed the MAC address for that, um, for that specific device and I spoofed my MAC address to that MAC address and then I plugged back up to the network and I got an IP. So um, awesome. it's, a, it's you know, just a little 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 tip here and there um and you know maybe you'll use that in your in your next uh physical stuff that you do so yeah yeah you never know when that's going to come in handy all right well that's it then yeah that's it for me sweet that's the pod awesome